Hello, and welcome back to the Album Files podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here after our break. It's a miracle to talk about some music that we've been listening to lately and speak now Taylor's version. How are you guys going? Matt Denise? Hello, I am very excited to be back. I missed you guys. Uh, I felt like I had a, uh, an album file shaped hole in my, uh, my fortnightly schedule and it's, uh, it's good to be back. I'm excited to talk music with you guys again and um, yeah, dive into some cool stuff this week and yeah, in the weeks to come. Ian? This is I. Hello. <laughs> it's good to, <laughs> good to be here. Thanks for having me Ian's back. the one who had us worried about if the podcast would continue or not. Yeah, there was, yeah, a moment. There was, some, yeah. There was some frantic messages. There was at one point after I just failed to respond in our WhatsApp group text, um, there was a, a very organic message from Matt and message from Abby in individual DMs arriving within a minute of each other, which I'm, see- I'm sure was like totally unscripted and everything's fine and there was no plotting behind that. But anyway, I'm I'm here. <laughs> I'm just bad at responding on WhatsApp, apparently. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, we're back and we're going to talk about some music. We had a little break. We all three drove around France for a while, which was pretty fun. Matt and I got to do it together. A lot of Taylor Swift was played in the car, but a lot of other stuff. Matt, you want to kick it off and tell us what you've been listening to lately? Yeah, I, I've got a few things. I um I mentioned this before we went on a break, but I wanted to use this uh this period between seasons to listen to some stuff that I have always wanted to listen to, or but just haven't gotten around to. So uh, I queued up a few things on my phone to listen to on flights over to to Europe and back again, and uh, yeah, while traveling and that kind of thing, and and got to a few particular pieces. So. Uh, I'm keen for your guys' thoughts on on these if you've if you've heard them. I'll start with one I know you have, because um, that's why I listen to it. Uh, Emotion by Carly Rae Jepsen from 2015. Hell uh, yeah! I think I think both of you guys mentioned that at some point um, in the you know, in previous episodes, and you know my exposure to her work was uh, Call Me Maybe. Like a lot of people, it was my first exposure to her stuff, and yeah, I wanted to dive into the album. And we've talked a bit about how music is very situational and how how you receive something is situational with music where you're listening to it what's happening at the time what's going on in your life and i listened to this as uh, my plane was landing back in melbourne after the tour after 28 hour journey back from france waiting for my luggage to get off the carousel and just had this kind of uh bit of euphoria about finally being home after a a long arduous trip and the music really helped that because it's such a excuse me such a fun and positive and upbeat album and just just great i really really enjoyed it it's so slickly produced and um very danceable and i I might have embarrassed myself a little by shuffling around in front of the baggage carousel there at telemarine airport a few times but um great mental image (laughs) yeah i i really enjoyed it i'm glad you guys put me onto it and i'm keen to get back to to listen to it some more um yeah, I'm keen for you guys to jump in here. I don't, I don't know really what I was expecting, but I, is there? Should I listen to more of her stuff? Is her new album good? What's the? What do I need to know about Carly Rae Jepsen besides "Emotion is Good"? Um, well, if you were listening to it at the baggage carousel, I assume that you didn't m- watch the music video for. Um, I can't remember which song on "Emotion," but there's one music video she does with Tom Hanks. Huh. It's phenomenal. So I really, 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 really like you. 
that's not the name of the song, but <laughs> I think it's <laughs> I Really Like You. But the the music video is is just so good. Like it'll just make you smile ear to ear. So I highly recommend that. And as far as like her newer stuff, I found The Loveliest Time, the album that she released while we were on tour, a little maybe underwhelming given how much I liked The Loneliest Time was it I feel like I rated it as one of my favorite albums that she's done. Um and I didn't love the new one. Like usually I feel like the B-sides of her albums are like maybe better than the original one that she put out, but I didn't find that with the most recent one, but I do think The Loneliest Time, the album that she released the same day that Taylor Swift released Midnight's is a really good album. Like I really like that album front to back, so mm. would recommend for sure. I think on the on the B-sides front, um the the song Cut to the Feeling is my favorite Carly Rae Jepsen song by a wide margin. It's okay. uh, a, a B-side from Emotion. I I think it's sometimes considered an Emotion B-side, depending on how Spotify labels it, and sometimes it's just a single that's dangling there by itself. But <laughs> it's just such a, a stellar pop song. And if you're if you're doing your little mental images of you shuffling around at Telemarine Airport in the bag- baggage carousel, the mental association I have for Cut to the Feeling is that that is... Um, if we're doing like a family dance where all four of us, I have, I have two daughters and, uh, and my wife and we, uh, <laughs> we, uh, we just dance to cut to the feeling and it's just such a, such a good time and, uh, a real wholesome fun time. Um, oh, that's lovely. I will gently rebut Abby's hatred for the loveliest time. By oh, saying whoa, 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 whoa! I didn't say <laughs> hatred. I just the say the not venom as that you spat down the mic. Like, like, rid. <laughs> uh, the song "Psychedelic Switch" on that album is is incredible. I I really really like that one. Um, so yeah, I I think if you're if you've enjoyed Carly Rae Jepsen to this point, I would go forward in the discography more so than backward. Okay. Uh, and I, I think avoid the Al City uh, collaboration. Good time. That's a, a stinker. But otherwise, anything <laughs> from Emotion onwards is pretty, pretty consistently good. Okay. Did you listen so. at all to the B side of Emotion, Matt? No, I didn't. Just the just the album. It's quite good. The B side okay. of that one is yeah, really good. Um, yeah. Would you say that it's a it's good music to run to? I would. I would. I haven't done it yet. I mean, no, I haven't done it yet. But. I, I will, I think. That's that's a good shout. Would you say that's yeah, good? Yeah, and I made Matt run, and then he was sore for days. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Sounds like whenever you run, there there's injury of one type or another. Even <laughs> <laughs> if it's not me. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, Matt, anything else? Yeah, I've got just two more um, before I yeah, stop being self-indulgent. The uh, Sonic Youth. I played in a band briefly, probably... 10 15 years ago 15 years ago uh and the two people i was in the band with really liked sonic youth and at the time i just couldn't get into them i i don't know what it was it just didn't do anything for me i think maybe because the only exposure i had was like a a crappy um b-side or some unreleased thing that they put out years later that wasn't actually that good so i went back and 
listen to their biggest album, Daydream Nation from 1988, um, to try and understand what all the fuss was about. And um, boy, howdy, is that a ride. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar that familiar with Sonic Youth, but um, yeah, hugely influ- influential on the noise rock and grunge scene. Um, came out of New York in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, this is their fifth album hugely discordant and frantic angular um very messy at times um a lot of alternate uh, alternate guitar tunings that make it sound quite strange to uh to people i guess that would be more familiar with yeah classic rock or whatever um but i really enjoyed it it was a difficult listen but an enjoyable and rewarding listen and i think it gave me a lot of context for why my bandmates really liked the sort of music that they did and and why the guitarist I played with um, insisted on playing in alternate tunings all the time rather than just tuning his guitar like a normal person. But then I picked up from him to play in alternate tunings. So um, it was kind of nice to fill in that bit of the puzzle from from a bit of my musical past. And it's not an album I'm going to listen to all that much, I don't think, but it was it was nice to experience that. Um, have you guys heard much Sonic Youth stuff in the past? It, it's one of those bands that, are a, an influence to a lot of music that I listen to and mm. should be in a Venn diagram of stuff that I would enjoy, but I've never actually, I don't think I've ever knowingly heard anything by Sonic Youth, even though I've, I've listened to a bunch of stuff that was in that same sort of ballpark from the similar mm. kind of era, like My Bloody Valentine, uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, those kind of bands. So I, I, I think that it's something that I think I probably would like, but I, don't actually know. Hmm. I think that'd probably be a good entry point is Daydream Nation if you were going to listen. I, from what I could tell, it was their biggest, most critically acclaimed album and it was one that earned them um, a major record label deal as well. So, yeah, one to check out if you're in for a bit of a ride. And the other one I was just going to mention is um, Prince's Purple Rain. I never really listened to much Prince. I, you know, I'd heard the radio hits growing up and all that and, and you know, knew the biggest songs but hadn't, listen to all that much so i wanted to do to listen to more and i I felt like his biggest album was probably the best place to start so that was from 1984 it's a soundtrack to the film of the same name his sixth studio album out of how many did he have like i don't know 50 or something ridiculous um rolling stone rated his eighth best album of all time on their their list when they compiled that some time ago um the title track is obviously well known when doves cry is also on it um, and where the Sonic Youth album to me felt like it kind of still held up today, like the instrumentation, while weird, still sounds like it could be something that you would hear today. This album is so, so 80s, like the instrumentation, the synths, the way it's produced, it's like an absolute, absolutely grounded in that era. And you you can't listen to it without knowing when it's from. And that was kind of cool, but also made it feel a bit dated to me. Um, I think I it's one of those things where I'm missing the the um, what's the, the what's the word I'm looking for um, the nostalgic resonance. That's the word um, of having listened to it at the time, or even you know I wasn't around then, but having listened to it as a kid, I would have had that nostalgia around it. But coming to it fresh just made it sound a bit dated. And even though I could appreciate the big hits and and Prince's voice is amazing and his guitar work and multi-instrumental work is incredible. Um, it sounds kind of dated to me. So, uh, 
I don't know. I'm keen to dig more into his stuff, and he he was such a huge uh, force in the music industry, not just for you know, his guitar work, but yeah, he played so many instruments and, and created some amazing work along the way. So yeah, have you guys had much exposure to him at all? Pretty much my only exposure to Prince is that New Girl episode where he's in the episode and Nick and Jess are like, I think they're at a wedding or at a party or something, and he walks up and he's like, you may freak out. And Nick is like, (laughs) 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 and like Jess just starts screaming. And apparently it's because Prince was like such a massive fan of the show that he asked to come be on set and he wanted everyone to be in character while he was there. So like he would only refer to Nick as Nick and the, I can't remember the guy who plays Nick. He's like quite famous, but whatever. J- Jake, was like, J- Jake Johnson. Jack Johnson? Yeah, right. No, Jake okay. Johnson. Like Jack, Jack Johnson, but Jake, yeah, got it. <clears throat> Always get those two mixed. I'm just kidding. Um, he, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I was totally fine just being called Nick for the whole like two days that he was on set. <laughs> like, um, that's my only exposure to Prince. <laughs> it's a really funny like behind the scenes video. That's cool. I, I know got nothing a, of Prince, really. I've got a funny Prince anecdote if I can just derail things really quickly. Please. My, my brother is a professional musician, and when he was studying at Monash Uni in Melbourne, studying jazz, um, they did an end of uh, semester recital um, at a, a jazz venue here in Melbourne. That's quite, quite was quite well known. It's now now gone, um, and so they're doing these rehearsals, and then afterwards, the 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 venue holds like a jam session, so anyone that's there can get up and play or whatever. And then at about I think it was like 11 o'clock at night or something. They shut the doors and didn't let anyone else in. And Prince was in town and touring and nobody announced, nobody announced it or anything. But then Prince rocks up to this, this room and then just plays for a couple of hours and has people up from this, you know, this uni jazz course playing with him and that they watch him play and like, yeah, just this uh, amazing, uh, unlikely occurrence out of nowhere that, you know, those people will remember forever. So thought that was kind of cool also what is derailing this podcast like <laughs> it's permanently off the rails it's just gouging up the countryside <laughs> next no to the tracks <laughs> it's just i just feel like i'm i'm talking a lot so i'm just trying to yeah it's now someone else's turn well i can take over if you want during the break i i've kind of like matt with sonic youth i've always uh, I've known about Paramore for a long time, but I've never really like loved Paramore or like listened to Paramore <laughs> like a ton. Um, but I went on a seriously ridiculous deep dive of Paramore and Haley Williams and have listened to pretty much nothing but literally up until this morning. Um, I, I listened to a bit of Haim in there. They had, I think, the 10-year anniversary of their first album, which I, is an album that I just love. So listened to a bit of Haim as well and uh, and dabbled in some Muna, um, which is a band under Saddest, Satisfactory Records, I think Phoebe Bridger's record company. Um, it, but really what I kept coming back to the entire time was just Paramore. So I've been listening to, I've been listening to a ton of Paramore and I know from Ian's response that he is super excited. <laughs> that was a big smile we got there from you, Ian. I love Paramore. I, I also you really like elaborate? it. Oh, no, I, well, I, I think the, the interesting thing for me about Paramore is I am, I would say I'm an album listener and I, 
tend to listen to albums in full and know what sort of era they represent and stuff. And Paramore for me is a band that I don't actually know what slots onto what album and what era sits where. I I listen to Paramore almost exclusively through the This Is Paramore Spotify playlist, which top to bottom is just an exceptional time. And I'm sure that there's about like 15 years of history there where there's dips and troughs that could exist on albums that I know nothing about. But when it's just the hits, everything absolutely slaps. It's so good. Um, I the only the only version of Paramore that I don't really like, and I know that I don't like as much, is After Laughter, which is their second most recent album. But other than that, I I really really like Paramore and. Uh, the the Haley Williams, I think there was like a pair of EPs or three EPs or something which were released as a single album. Um, there are some incredible songs on those as well. Why do you listen to that that playlist rather than the albums? I I think that I was I I normally come across music uh, if not through this <laughs> this podcast and having it like put in front of me, I normally come across it sort of organically by myself, listening to new albums by myself and seeking out the album experience. And I think my first Paramore encounter was uh, with with my friend Pete, uh, who might be listening or might not. And if he isn't, that's fine. Uh, but I, I think he played a, a few songs when we were driving around or something. And I was just like, yeah, this is great. And his, his kids really liked them as well. And when kids are listening to music, they get their favorite songs and tend to request for those particular songs to be played. So I, I had a decent handle on a few songs which weren't on any particular album. So I just sort of fell into into that pattern. This is interesting because I was going to say the exact same thing. Like I I listened to a lot of the albums front to back during the break, but the the thing that I always came back to was just like Paramore Essentials on Apple Music, which is basically just all of their hits. And it's just so good. And it's crazy listening to that because I, I went into it like, okay, like I know Misery Business, but I like don't really know any other Paramore songs. And then you're listening to the Essentials and you're like, oh wait, I know every single one of these songs um, because they're so like they're just everywhere. They're in every movie, every TV show, like they're all over the place. And so once you've actually like, if you try listening to the albums, there's a ton of stuff that is still good that I think that is unrecognized, but really the joy that I got over the, over the period that we've been on hiatus was just listening to the essentials. It's just amazing. And I think some of the really good songs, like, um, so they, they have really good songs which aren't on albums, like Decode, um, which is from, I think, oh, Twi- yes, Twilight, from Twilight. Twilight New Moon, maybe, or or one of the Twilight movies. And just a, a killer song. But I I think that that's one of those things that you just sort of almost pick up by osmosis in popular culture and then um, get an appreciation for and then can't find that on an album, but you can find it on the the greatest hits. I need to listen to more Paramore. I'm like you were, Abby. I, I know Misery Business and I love that track and I need to discover more. Um, I was going to ask which album I should start with, but it sounds like I should just jump straight to a playlist and go straight for the hits. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think if I was to pick an album, I would, like, Riot is probably maybe one of their most well-known albums, but Brand New Eyes for me was maybe my favorite album of the bunch. Um, That's the album that has the only exception on it, which is, like, I don't know, makes me cry. It's on my Sad Girl playlist. It's just, like, hits me in the teen feels. Um (laughs) But yeah, I think that I think Brand New Eyes is maybe of the albums possibly my favorite album. Although I really like This Is Why, their most recent album. I think it's quite good. So I would also maybe dive into that. So it's not like the albums aren't worth listening to. Hmm. Uh, They're just maybe not as, um, yeah, not as listenable as some other albums. Because like Ian, I'm an album album listener i don't really love playlists it feels like cheating though if it's like a playlist of one artist can we talk about your sad girl playlist (laughs) is it literally called sad girl playlist and what's on it and when do you listen to it it is called sad girl playlist and it really depends when i listen to it i think i feel like the most sad um times are maybe in the shower like you can cry when you cry in the shower, like the tears just wash off. So it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> How long are the showers or, that you can get through a playlist? <laughs> Don't you have droughts in Europe? <laughs> just 45 minute shower, just weeping. <laughs> or like a bath. I mean, water. Or like in the rain. The rain works fine as well. Um, Except I love the rain, so why would I cry if, if it's raining? The first song on my Sad Girl playlist might surprise you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Castle on Hill. I don't know what it is about that song, but it really gets me. Um, like when he, when I went and saw him live in, what was it, March or something, uh, and he played that song, I was just sobbing. Like, embarrass- like I was so glad that I was at the concert by myself because I was crying so hard that I wouldn't have wanted any human, even my husband, to see me in that state (laughs) and then it goes into the 1975 they've got some sad songs and i don't know i feel like i don't want to ruin it by telling you the whole sad girl playlist maybe i'll just send it to you you can listen to it (laughs) i can listen to it when i'm crying in the shower next time just tear up a a hot bath and get the tissues (laughs) Uh, it's not very long. I feel like I I li- I just listen to it on repeat, and it doesn't there need, doesn't need to be like a ton of songs mm-hmm. in there to just make me be in my feels. Do you listen to it? Not, not a not single to labor, Taylor Swift song, though. Not to labor the point, but do you listen to it when you're sad or when you feel like you want to be sad? That's maybe a dumb question, but do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> I feel like I listen to it when I need to be sad. Yep. To like amplify the the. Like, you know, when you're really, really sad, but you can't cry, like just to, but you need to release, you Mm. need to like pull the plug, like kind of, it's like a plug puller. Yep. Mm. That makes sense. I like it. Thank you for sharing. Do you guys have sad, sad boy playlists? It's just called Uh, my playlists. (laughs) (laughs) Just Ian's music. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I don't, but I think I should. Sounds useful. It's it's good for you. Like, I went on a run this weekend, um, and 
in the mountains, like all by myself. And it was snowing on me and I was really cold. And I put on my sad girl playlist and just like listened to it. And I honestly felt better. That's great. The tears were freezing on my face, but I felt joy in my heart. Yep. I like that. Anyway, so Paramore has been my, yeah, my off-season, off-season bangers. Ian, how about you? I haven't been listening to very much music because when you're at the Tour de France, which was where I was, the internet connection is pretty shitty most of the time. So, um, yeah, so you're, you're kind of trying to get as much internet connection as you can to actually do your work and there's not a whole lot of extra bandwidth to have Spotify running in the background. So I had a relatively musicless sort of month or so. And then when I came back, I was working and then trying to take some recovery time and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I haven't listened to as much music as I normally would, but uh, over the last couple of months since we last spoke, there have been several albums that have come out that are interesting to me because they're new albums from artists that haven't done anything for quite a while. So Sigur Ross has a, had, has a new album called Atta, which is their first in a decade um, since Kveka. And that is, if you, if you like a slow-moving version of Sigur Ross, I don't think I spoke about this in the last we, episode, we touched I? on it I briefly. We, we, we mentioned that it was coming out and that we were excited to listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you've got a better memory than me, Matt. Um, so it's out and it's it's good. It's it's the the kind of slow moving sort of glacial beauty version of Sigur Ross, which is really nice to work to, but not very hooky. So you're just kind of drifting along in it, and. Uh, that hasn't been such a bad thing, really. It's It's been one of the albums that I've been working to in the last month or so, and, and it's beautiful, but a little bit cold and distant, I guess. Um, like Iceland. Like Iceland. It's very thematically similar to their homeland. Uh, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a very beautiful album, but if you're looking for something immediate that's going to get your pulse going this ain't it. Um, another album that I've been excited by is by a Finnish band called Tenhi. Uh, they're a sort of folk, I don't know, very, very slow folk band that I would say have like a metal aesthetic. They're on a metal label, but it's very slow, no screaming, not even like everything is very quiet. Um, but, it's their first album in 12 years since Saivo uh, was their last one. And it's about 70 minutes of very slowly paced, um, slow building, really beautiful. Can't understand a word they're saying because I don't speak Finnish. Um, and I, I really like what they do from a, a musical perspective, but also from a, whole product perspective because their cover art is always really beautiful. Um, you can, you can imagine that they've spent the last 12 years, like just trying to get the tone on the piano, just right. And the flute <laughs> tone and, and things like that. Like it's, it's such That's a great. meticulous, 
um, album that I think for about five years they've been saying it's coming out that year and it just never has because they've just been working on it trying to get everything precisely right. Um, so that's a pretty incredible listen, but again, not not an immediate one. Uh, slightly, I want to like touch on something really quick about that. <clears throat> Please. You you mentioned not being able to understand Finnish, but you still enjoy the music. And Matt and I had a conversation at the tour about how like when he listens to music, he listens to the the instrumental and the lyrics are kind of just like laid on top. And I'm the opposite. Like I listen to the lyrics and then the instrumental second. And we've had like requests, multiple requests to do other, like to do Spanish albums and stuff. And I don't know, I think it's maybe maybe worth talking about a little bit, the different ways that the three of us listen to music and listening to music that we we don't understand. Because I feel like if I was to listen to an album where I didn't understand the language, that it would really throw off my listening experience. I wouldn't really know how to like process it at all. Hmm. I think for me, the main place that I listen to music is when I'm working. And... Uh, it's kind of on in the background at varying volumes, depending on how pumped up I need to be. Uh, but I almost always have music on when I'm writing. And because I'm writing using words, if I understand the words that are in the songs, then it just gets in the way of my words. It it's mm. um, It interrupts my flow or I, I don't want somebody with English li- lyrics trying to you know, inception, what I'm writing about a cyclist, <laughs> you know? Have, have you had um, that happen before? Because I, if I listen to stuff with lyrics, I literally end up writing lyrics into what I'm writing. I just can't. Yeah, uh, not not quite that directly, but like words might occasionally pop up or, mm-hmm. um, or I just get stuck because I get hung up on a phrase or something that I've heard in a song and I'm just like distracted. It takes me out of, mm-hmm. yeah. out of my flow. Um, yeah, so I... I almost never can do English language lyrics when I'm, when I'm writing, which is probably 80% of the time I'm listening to music. You should listen to some Latvian rap, see what kind of written pieces come out of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think rap's an interesting one because I, maybe, maybe to a certain extent it is the voice. I, I don't know. Like the, the voice might have some kind of, impact on things because a lot of what I listen to is instrumental or like screamed. So you can't, it's, it's almost an, another instrument. So would you put yourself on Matt's side then of listening to like music first? I don't know. Yeah. I think I'm somewhere in between. Like I, I think as a proportion, yes, on Matt's side. Um, but if I'm listening really intently and I want to, pay attention to the whole album, then I am quite drawn to lyrics and some of the bands that I would describe as my my favourite bands or favourite artists that, that sing in English. Uh, I tend to come to them from a lyrical perspective first, but, hmm. uh, but I think that what I listen to is quite fragmented between work music and, um, like, actual putting putting the headphones on and listening to it and, and focusing on it. If that makes sense. Interesting. Hmm. Matt, where where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, so I think we're 
yeah, what Abby's talking about is that I mean, it's something that's come up in previous episodes where I it takes me longer to engage with the lyrics. So I hear it as a as a musical product first, and the lyrics add a dimension to it that I don't necessarily pick up unless I really focus on it. Um, but I've got a playlist that I listen to when I'm editing or writing that is basically instrumental, but a few I've got a few Alcest tracks in there, and I find that even though I don't speak French, the French vocals also trip me up because I find myself like my ear clues into trying to work out what the words are or what the sounds are. And then that trips me up as well. So I have to like go in and remove them from the playlist whenever I hear one. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how we all hear stuff differently and approach stuff differently. And, you know, there was a time when I was, you know, when I was in high school and writing essays or whatever, and I, I could listen to music with lyrics, no problems. And at some point along the way that changed, I don't know when that changed or why, but yeah, it's intriguing to me that how that's different for different people. Can you can you write an article, Abby, listening to like Ed Sheeran? No, absolutely not. I I'm I'm maybe even weirder than you two. I put my headphones in with nothing playing. Right, okay. Like if I'm at a coffee shop or something. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah. really like it's hard to work from home. You get distracted by laundry that needs to be done and so whenever I'm whenever I go out and work cuz obviously like we all three work from home. <clears throat> um I usually go to Jir, like this really awesome coffee shop down the road and, and just put my headphones in and they're not like headphones, big headphones. So people know that like not to talk to me, they're just like little headphones that just block out everything. So Mm -hmm. I can really focus, but I really can't listen to music. I wonder, I've never tried listening to like instrumental music. I wonder maybe I'll just pop on the Fantasia playlist and see how I go. (laughs) But, but yeah. Um, so you guys don't like memorize like Midnight's came out and within two days I had the whole track, every track memorized, the the words. You don't do that? That is not how I work, no. <laughs> mm, that's so interesting. I can't help it. It's like, it, mm. it like osmosis itself into my brain. Yeah, I, I think that happens for me. Maybe not within like the first listen or two, but... But I, I think, think those Abby- kind of... Like wh- when there's like a new Taylor Swift album, it's event listening so you're like okay i need to really concentrate on this as a whole product so so then you are paying attention Mm. to the lyrics in a way that you don't if it's just kind of background noise i'd also hazard a guess that abby you listen to stuff more than ian and i do like if you listen to a thing you listen to it more more frequently more consistently and so that probably has an imprinting effect as well whereas if i'm only listening i do do that Yeah. yeah if i yeah if i get into something i'm like it's like on repeat for two weeks. I can't like pull myself away from it. I'm the same way with books. Like I reread books. If I finish a book and it's good, I just start it over. But there's so many books you could be reading. Think of all the, the cool I'm new stories. I'm well aware, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> My like TBR is absolutely ridiculous, but am I rereading Sarah J. Mass? Maybe. <laughs> Beside the point. Also... You said spoiler yesterday, and it's been bothering me since. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even finished Fourth Wing yet, so I can't spoil anything because I don't know. I'm only like halfway through it. There's no such thing as spoilers when you haven't even finished the book yet. Fair enough. 
Apparently Fourthwing is good for those who haven't read it. Uh, anyway, Ian, I'm sorry that I, I really did derail your... Um, oh, no, that's that, it was an interesting derail. I, I I think that that's one of those things about, about music that everyone has such a personal response to it. Hmm. It's, it's kind of interesting hearing how people use music or respond to music. Um, I'm curious, I'm... Well, I'm ready now for your pick, your album at the end of this episode to be something that's not in English and for me to just be completely thrown off. (laughs) (laughs) Incapable of (laughs) processing any of it. Just give you something impenetrable. (laughs) You're welcome to choose a Mars Volta album if you like, Ian, so we can get some Spanish in there. I I would quit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ian, do you have any more? Or should we should we talk about Taylor Swift? Well, I kind of do, but I, uh, I'll, I'll just breeze through them quickly. So the clientele, uh, they have their first new album in six years called I Am Not There Anymore. Uh, they're a kind of 1960s, 1970s kind of sounding, jangly British um, guitar pop band that have such a, a strong sort of nostalgic pull to their sound that it just reminds me of certain scenes in my life and certain times um always uh reminds me of like daylight savings about eight o'clock where the the sun's just coming in at a certain angle and there's sort of haze in the air and like fire not fireflies like what do we have dust mites i don't know like (laughs) stuff speckles in the air um don't you just have snakes falling from the sky snakes falling from the sky i think Bushfire smoke, yeah. So it's yeah, it's a, a real um, real heavy vibe of that, and their their first album in six years came out, which is exciting. And finally, probably the album that I've listened to the most in the last three months, uh, Blank Mass, who's a Scottish electronic producer, who I've spoken about before, but his album Animated Violence Mild is. I'm struggling to think of an album that I've listened to more or enjoyed more uh, in the last couple of years because that that album. Uh, for a very acquired taste and acquired like point where you just really need to focus and put music on and just churn out an article and have 45 minutes where you need to work as furiously hard as you can. That's the kind of album that Matt would have hated sitting next to me in the office for because the volume of my typing would have gone up. I would have just been like slapping the keys Matt knows what I'm I'm talking about, and yeah, you, your baseline typing is freaking loud. So I can only imagine what this would have been like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who it's... was more annoying to work next to, though? Because I just kept like wanting to ask you questions the whole time we were sitting there working. <laughs> oh, you're you're both great. I would happily work alongside either of you again at any point. In the middle of both of us. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> just a pair of pests. Uh... well i think it's i think it's quite fitting that we talked a bit about um nostalgia already in this episode because whilst we were gone taylor swift released speak now taylor's version the third of her re-releases and also the third album that she released in a previous life um it was the first album that she wrote completely on her own and in this second version of it she brought in a couple features for the bonus tracks for the six bonus tracks we had fallout boy we had Haley williams who 
uh, we just talked about from Paramore. And yeah, I really was looking forward to, to chatting about this album with you guys. Um, I think we should maybe start off with some initial thoughts. Um, I feel like, do you, can I go first? Do you guys, do either of you want to go first? Go for can it. I, can I just get some background on how much you two listened to this together when you were at the, the Tour de France Femmes? I think only once. All right. Okay. Yes. Think twice. Not much. Okay, I'd imagine that it was just like eight days of this. <laughs> I tried really hard to get Matt to put on music, but he he wouldn't take the take the auxiliary cable. Um, <laughs> it was me the whole the whole time playing music. I feel like I played more Lover in Midnight's than I did Speak Now Taylor's version. Actually, yeah, there was more Midnight's um, than anything else. I think I was really on a mission to convert Matt into liking Midnight's. Because I've liked it more and more as the time has gone by. I don't did, know how successful I was. I never asked. Did you like it more and more, Matt? Or do you like it less and less? To be honest, I I could mainly just hear Abby's singing of the songs rather than the songs themselves. <laughs> which was great. It was fun. I, I was having a great time. I would have put music on if I was unhappy. So, it was uh, it was good. I had a good time. You just don't sound like convincing at all. <laughs> Oh, I mean, the album itself is not my favorite of Taylor Swift's work. We've we've established this. Um, maybe I need to go back and give it some more time. But uh, I think Speak Now is better. Yeah, so Speak Now. Um, this was the first album that I ever listened to of Taylor Swift. I was a Taylor Swift hater before this album came out. And then I joined the Collegiate Mountain Bike team. I made a lifelong friend, and she introduced me to Taylor Swift. And And this album is really, like what got the steam stream steam roller i don't know <laughs> <laughs> forward. Steam roller what is this life. analogy <laughs> <laughs> um i just absolutely fell in love with this album when it came out and i in solidarity with taylor swift i didn't listen to this album for i think two years um in between her releasing or maybe announcing the re-records and releasing this album i also haven't listened to 1989 so i'm quite excited for october 27th um when she will release 1989 taylor's version which is arguably one of my favorite albums but speak now um yeah listening to this was really weird because you know when you have music that you listen to and listening to it again at a later date can literally like transport you time and space into a different version of yourself. So listening to this, I was unsettled moving backwards in time into my <laughs> like 20 year old self <laughs> um, and feeling like, I don't know, all of the songs still resonate in the same way, even though I've changed a lot in 13 years. I feel like a lot of the criticism for this album and also for Fearless, a lot of it that like her voice is matured, so it's not the same. I just don't care too much. I, it's just as good, I feel like, and maybe better since like the, vo the vocals are even stronger now. Um, but even on the very first listen, I mean, I was, I was hooked. I was just as in love with it as the first time I heard it in a car on the way to a bike race in the mountains of Colorado. <laughs> do, when you're listening to the new album, do you can you t 
tell what am I trying to say? Can you tell that the vocals are different? Does does that muddy the the waters in terms of that nostalgia for you? Does it I know you're saying you still like it, but does it like throw that that off a little bit? No, I don't think so. And I think that's because I just don't listen to the original versions. So I don't hear a difference because I can't rem- I, I can't remember like the tiny, tiny, tiny little changes that have been made Great. Um, to the vocals. Like obviously there's that lyric change that we'll talk about. But like other than that, the the changes are so minuscule and I feel like made for the better that they don't even really click with me. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, what that makes guys, sense. What were your thoughts initially, and how do you feel? Ian, would you like to jump in, or would oh, you like I, me to I, I, bring no, the I mood down? I can go first. <laughs> Bringing the mood down, jeez. That's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> oh, God. I was afraid this would happen. Speak now. Speak never. Um, I <laughs> I liked I liked it. I, I like Speak Now. I think Speak Now is probably... I don't know if it's a podium album of Taylor Swift's, but I, I think it's definitely the best of the pre-red batch and better than some of the ones that come after it. So yeah, it's it's definitely in the, the top sort of four or five for me. I think uh, the songs, are, there, there are so many really strong songs that stand really well individually i i think as we were talking about with paramore there's there's singles that just absolutely stand out and i think that this album is kind of like the paramore singles version of that phenomenon because some of the songs on this uh, are incredible with special reference to the story of us which is incredible um enchanted i i i think that some of the songs here are like a, it's an extremely over-the-top, glossy, um, extra version of Taylor Swift, which I find really fun, where there's, like, orchestras coming in and uh, songs where she's just clearly been listening to a lot of Evanescence or Paramore or whatever <laughs> and and just, just like, okay, I'll swipe from that and I'll I'll do my version of that. And I think that that's really fun because you can see where her tastes are as an artist at that time. And also, um, you know, <laughs> I think she almost does a better job at some of those kind of songs than the original artist as well, especially the Evanescence one, because they weren't very good. So oh, I, I... That's sacrilege. <laughs> that, that debut album is pretty good. Mm. Anyway, we can come back to that. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have thoughts about Evanescence, so... Um, yeah, I, I in, enjoyed that this one came out, but I will say, despite the fact that I really like Speak Now, I felt fatigued by the fact that this album came oh. out when it did. Uh, I think that they're at a point is too much content and I feel weary and worried about 1989 coming out so soon after <laughs> because I feel bombarded by Taylor Swift music and that I haven't had time to engage with it properly because it's been well like five albums since the start of COVID and I feel that I want to engage with it more but I don't have time to. I think as a counterpoint to that you could say that this isn't really a new album it's only like a six track album really. Uh, To me I view this as re-recording 
something that already exists and you already know what Speak Now is. You can listen to that whenever. It's not really a new thing. If you want to listen to new music, here are six new tracks. Um, but are you approaching mm. this, Ian, as like a whole new listening experience or are you approaching this as, hey, cool, now we've got a version of this that we can feel good about listening to? I think with uh, with Red, I tried to approach it as a whole new listening experience and rediscover what I, what it was that I liked about Red. With this, I wanted to approach it in the same way, but didn't feel that I had the bandwidth to do so. Um, so I probably should look at it as this is basically just like a bonus songs EP. Um, maybe that is a better way of doing it. But I also think that as a collection of bonus songs, the the vault tracks on this aren't as strong as the ones on red for instance and there's not like a there there are some some songs which are better than others but there's not an all too well 10 minute version which is an absolute showstopper that everyone's just like oh okay this is one of the greatest things that she's ever done i i think that there's good songs here but i don't think many of them are on par with anything that's on the album itself you know so it's like oh, okay yeah. I can see why this is uh, a B-side with one or two exceptions. I am going to have to stop talking about Taylor Swift with you too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'm not exhausted at all by the amount of content. I think that's just because there are a lot of hours in the day. So it's like, and the way that we wake up in the morning is like I wake Lila up and put on some music and make her breakfast while we dance around the kitchen. So like there's always time when we're listening to music. And so I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel overwhelmed at all by the amount of Taylor Swift music out at the moment. And I think the reason that she's dropping these re-records so quickly one after another is because she's just trying to get the re-records over with because she's got new music coming and she wants to focus on that and not the the past. So, I mean, it, to me, it like totally makes sense that she's not spending a ton of time on the re-records, that she's not spending a lot of press and stuff. Like, I think Red has maybe had the most amount of press and that's because maybe she was really hoping for that album of the year Grammy that Red got snubbed, um, the I, original version, but. I, I think it's also the all too well factor with that song, uh, with that album, because that, that song is almost universally regarded as like the the top of the pyramid for her and then a bigger better version of that with all of the backstory around it meant that everyone just kind of had to pay attention to that because you can't you can't not yeah i mean because we have like we have we we got this obviously and then we have 1989 coming in a couple months and she's already released well not released but quietly dropped a snippet of reputation taylor's version as well so there's like it's all coming within the start of i think the european eras tour dates like i think she just wants to get it all out before before next summer when the eras tour picks up in full like obviously she's still going right now but it's it's not the same as the entire all the chaos that was going on this summer with her touring I think that nine, I would expect that 1989 is going to be a bigger release than this because that album for a lot of people seems to be the one that really kind of landed her on the main, like the major um, mainstream. Mainstream. And, and also yeah. a crossover album as well where, where people that weren't necessarily into pop music 
were interested in in this because it it dragged those like indie music listeners and all those people across in the way that Red and Speak Now didn't, where it was still kind of in that country early pop era. I think 1989 was a bigger cultural phenomenon than, than Speak Now. For sure. And also it was the successful transition of her from country to pop. So it, it completely reformed her image in the in the public, basically. But like, I feel like the re-records are really interesting and in watching how well received they are because I feel like maybe the music industry and like people who have been listening to Taylor Swift for a really long time maybe feel a little bit like you guys do about the re-records but the amount of fans that she's accumulated since the pandemic since Folklore and Evermore is like absurd like you all you have to see is the amount of people that showed up outside Jack Antonoff's wedding in New Jersey to see that like Taylor Swift is the biggest pop star in the world right now and so these re-records are like people are discovering songs like Long Live for the first time ever because they've not been introduced to Taylor before the pandemic and before she released Folklore and Evermore. And so it's like, I don't know, she's getting like this whole second life. And I, I mean, for me, like, I guess I couldn't care less about the amount of content she puts out. She, I, It's not like I'm going to lose my shit every single time like I did with Midnight's. But I still like am really excited to hear what she releases for 1989, the original songs, and also the vault. I, I mean, I feel like I love the vault tracks for this one. Yeah. So just, Matt, just yeah. I, I have some yeah, feelings. I want you to speak. Yeah, I have some feelings. <laughs> speak now. Um, I just to clarify, I wasn't also saying that I feel fatigued by the amount that's being released. I I thought Ian was going to talk about the length of this album. Um, so I'm not too worried about the frequency of stuff coming out. I can take it or leave it. That's fine. Um, I We talked about this earlier about whether we're album listeners or track listeners or whatever. And I think the, you know, the central conceit of this whole experience is that we're trying to approach things on an album by album basis and see them as one product. And that's how I tried to listen to speak now. I'd, I'd heard the album before, but I wanted to come to it fresh and approach the thing as, a, as one product. And yeah, I just, I felt quite, wearied by it it's just it's just so long like is it an hour and i don't know an hour and 45 minutes or something like that it's not as long as the the red re-record which is over two hours long but i i just found it a bit too much and i know that's um that's probably unfair and it's probably selling it a bit short because it's first of all it's not for me I, I think this is for the diehard fans and for well, just basically to have a version of it that, like I said before, we can be uh, that we can feel good about listening to. Um, but yeah, to me, it was it was a bit of a a slog, which is funny because every track on the original album is good. There are no bad songs on here, and it's quite remarkable actually how consistent the songwriting is and how yeah, just how good everything is the whole way through. But I think it just, to me, it just becomes a bit too much. And I, I wonder if that's partially down to the way I listen to things. I, I struggle to have things on just in the background. I feel like I'm either listening to something or I'm not, um, you know, work music aside, if I'm deliberately listening to something, I'm deliberately listening to it. And when there's an hour and 45 minutes of, of the same stuff, it just gets a bit too much. So I struggled with that. Um, having said that, all the tracks are great. Um, the one that stand out to me, Enchanted, that you mentioned, Ian, I love the orchestration of that as well. 
Uh, Dear John, I think is brilliant and Back to December also really stand out to me. Um, the the six new tracks, I, I agree. And I think there um, there are some good moments, but I, I, I can see why they were left off the original uh, off the original album. I think to me, when Emma falls in love is the strongest of the six, and Electric what? Touch is pretty good as well. What? What are we? What are we laughing? Really? At? Which one? When Emma falls in love is the strongest of the bunch. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting getting laughed at by uh, by all sides here. Not- no, no, you're not. I'm not laughing at you. Like, I'm I'm stunned. I uh, do you I, do you think there's a? I think that's the worst of them. <laughs> really? What? When yeah. Emma Falls in Love is so good. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel like I've... I, I, <laughs> you're outnumbered here, mate. Your your opinion is valid, Matt, but I... <laughs> but it's I, I think that's that's an absolute clangor. <laughs> I, I think Which it, one do you like, then? Me? I, I can see you. I think that's clearly oh, the best of the bonus tracks. I was, that, that is... I knew, I knew this would come up. To me, that is clearly the worst of the 22 songs on the entire <laughs> thing. Um, I feel like it is so puerile and so so weak in terms of like uh, the storytelling. And one thing that's interesting to me is listening to these songs that were clearly written quite a while ago. What was this? Two thousand nine. This album is that right? The original, maybe two thousand. No, 2010? It would, 13 years. Yeah, okay, so 13 years ago. Her songwriting has clearly matured since then. And the voice that she has now, I associate with the brilliant storytelling of folklore and evermore. So then to have her current voice singing things like, I can see you, it's just, I found it quite jarring, some of that stuff. Like, she's moved on so much as a songwriter. It just feels so middle school like very very strange i I did not enjoy that track but and i didn't enjoy this it was the song that got stuck in my head the most which is really annoying so read into that whatever you will um but we should talk about the because of the music video yeah well i hadn't seen it until you mentioned it today abby it's um it's interesting to me that she picked of all the songs she could have picked to do a music video she picked this one and it's also interesting to me that she made a music video that is completely unrelated to the uh, the thin nature song. of the original song. Yeah. And I know that's yeah. not a new thing for music videos. That, that happens all the time. But it stands out to me more here because, to me, the lyrical content of the original is just kind of like, wow, this, is, this probably didn't deserve to be sitting alongside all these other amazing tracks on this album i feel like the vibe of it worked best for a for a heist music video like there was no other songs in this album that would have worked for a heist yeah she wanted to do a heist didn't she yeah (laughs) and to choose taylor lautner the subject of back to december Mm -hmm. to be in this music video was just like to be in she she debuted the music video at the eras tour and to be at that show when they showed the music video and taylor lautner came on the screen and then Taylor Lautner walked out on stage and did a backflip to be at that concert. Like, eighteen-year-old me would have simply died. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the like, music video and I was like, "That looks like Taylor Lautner." And I, I haven't—I don't know much about him at all. I've never seen him really in much. And 
got to the end, I was like, oh, that's why it looks like him. So, yeah, that was a nice little moment. Yeah. Um, I feel like I really enjoyed the vault tracks. Like, I the first listening, I obviously started from mine and, like, track one and just listened all the way through. And I tried to listen all the way through multiple times, but I'd always come back to just, like, starting at Electric Touch and then going through. And, like, for me, Superman remains the worst song on this album and the worst song one of the worst songs she's ever written um so you'll need to elaborate on that i know you mentioned that when we were in france but i think it's worth sharing i just really hate that song like oh i'm just sitting at home waiting for you to come home like hoping that you're not thinking about another girl while you're out there saving the world it's just like the dumbest shit i've ever heard in my life so (laughs) i just hate that song so much and it's just like it's also just unforgettable it's it's forgettable as a song in itself. And then you like slap the lyrics on there and it's just like, no, no, this song could have just been cut and no one would have even cared. I know there are people that care, but anyway, electric touch featuring fallout boy. So good. I love this song so much. I don't know if it's like the nostalgia of Mm. fallout boy or what, but I really love that song. When Emma falls in love, I also really love. And then like, I feel like the transition between I Can See You and Castles Crumbling kind of gets me every time. Like, it's really, I don't love that, but I do love Castles Crumbling featuring Haley Williams. I find it a very, very good song. Foolish One is a terrible song, and I feel like that was on the cutting room floor and it could have stayed on the cutting room floor. But Timeless, I also really like. Like, that song is very, very good. So, I don't know. I just... I'm, I'm confused by Timeless and When Emma Falls in Love which I think have some of the most frustrating lyrical sort of conceits behind them. When Emma falls in love has the line, she's the kind of book you can't put down. Like if Cleopatra grew up in a small town, which I don't know what that means. And in timeless, there is on a crowded street in 1944 and you were headed off to fight in a war, which again is just like this mental image where it's so specific, but also so strange. And I, I don't know what she's angling for there. Like 1944. Okay. Why then? Why that year specifically? Uh, it, it taps into the, the, uh, the start of the song with the finding the photos and telling different stories yeah. from, of the photos. I think it works. It's not as strong as, as I said, folklore and evermore. And same with, I think all the stuff here, but, um, I think it works. And if Cleopatra grew up in a small town, she would be like the center of everything. Every every boy would be in love with her. Every girl would want to be her. And if you can't put a book down, like that book is so good that you, you cannot put it down. And you're thinking, and even when you do put it down, you're always thinking about it. That's Emma. Yeah, that's Emma. <laughs> Whoever Emma is. Emma Stone. Keep up, Ian. Come on, come on. Oh, Sorry. (laughs) There's actually an interview, um, an interview that she did like back when Speak Now, the original version was released, where the the, one of the questions I ask her is like, if you could swap lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? And she says, Emma Stone. And then the song came came out and everyone was like, oh, pulled up that interview and they were like, oh. She is like if Cleopatra grew up in a small town. We need to talk about the lyric change, Abby. Uh, yeah, the lyric change. I really don't have a problem with it. I mean, I don't think it... I don't think... I feel like the we the words that she used are sloppy. Like, it, it doesn't... I think we need like, to give context. It doesn't roll... Yeah, okay. So, 
Better Than Revenge is one of the songs from the original album. And when, and that, the original version of that song includes the line, uh, she's not a saint. No, she's not what you think. She's an actress. She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress, which is a bit of slut shaming from our girl, Taylor Swift. Um, and back then when it came out, like I, I didn't, I don't know a single person who like batted an eye at that because it was a very different time and a very different way that women treated each other. But obviously now as times have changed and people have grown, um, slut shaming is not really cool and you shouldn't do it. So when the new version came out, she changed it to, um, he was a flame. She was holding the matches or something. She was a moth to the flame. He was a moth to the flame. flame. Or she was a moth to the flame. And he was holding the matches, holding the matches. Is very like new age Taylor Swift. Like it, like just the choice of phrase, I feel like is Taylor Swift now and doesn't fit the rest of the song, which was Taylor Swift when she was 20. Like, I don't know. It For me, I don't care about the lyric change. I don't care that she changed the lyric. I feel like if she wants this album to be played now in this day and age, she needed to change the lyric because it's not something that flies anymore. And if you listen to the old version and you prefer the old lyric, like, fine, whatever. That's your prerogative. But I, I don't mind that she changed it. I don't think that the new lyric fits in the song. Yeah, it's it's clunky. I, I also think that the, the sort of context around the fact that when this album came out, she was famous, but she wasn't like one of the most famous people in the world. And then went through a, a period where she was being reported on by tabloids obsessively and everyone was just talking about her love life and... She was probably getting slut-shamed herself in in ways um, through that period. So I, I think that it speaks to the kind of growth that she's gone through as a person, having gone through a reputation era where she had that, that real low. Um, it reflects a, a kind of maturity to her. I think an interesting context to this particular song, seeing as it's the one that sounds a lot like uh, Misery Business by Paramore is the fact that Paramore's that that song also had a lyric that was was similarly dicey, um, and Paramore stopped playing that song for for a decent chunk of time for for similar kind of reasons. So I, I think that musically it sounds kind of similar to to that. The the issues that both Paramore and Taylor Swift were encountering in relation to this album are kind of similar to that, um, and. I, I think that 13 years later, you kind of have to change it. But I, I do agree that it's a it's a pretty chewy <laughs> change of line. Like, you kind of trip on it. Yeah, I feel like she could have come up with something better. Or she could have mm. come up with something that flowed a little bit better. Like, whenever it gets to that point in the song and I'm singing in the car, I, like, can't form my, my words around the lyric. Like, it just doesn't... Yeah, although- that's that's also like 10 plus years of muscle memory very true very true i don't know i feel like i would have been disappointed if she hadn't changed it Mm -hmm. because of exactly what you say like she's been through so much slut shaming herself that i if she didn't change it i would have been like i mean i i wouldn't have not listened to it or i wouldn't have canceled her on the internet i just would be like well that's a bummer but like i don't know matt what do you think yeah i good thing she changed it uh no problem with that at all and I don't mind the line that she came up with, actually. I think it's 
quite good. Uh, I see what you're saying about it maybe not fitting with the time that the original song was written, but I think it's actually really hard. Like, writing lyrics is really hard, (laughs) and particularly writing lyrics for something that already exists and has existed for over a decade would be really, really hard. So I think where she ended up is perfectly fine. Yeah, like it's not, maybe not amazing, but I think it's totally fine. I feel like Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift beg to differ. For them, writing lyrics is like really easy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure. (laughs) Because Ed Sheeran also has a new album coming out in like a month. It's very exciting. Autumn variations. Anyway, beside the point. Um, Anyway, I think we've talked a ton this episode so maybe we should wrap it up my final question was going to be how we all feel about the re-records now that we're three re-records in and i feel like we kind of uh we talked about that a bit um there's some exhaustion and some excitement going on i think it's really i i will also say sorry matt you go first i just have a lot of admiration for her the fact that she's doing it i think it's one thing to have uh said she was going to do it as a bargaining chip in negotiations uh, to, tr- you know, in the whole master's debacle thing. But uh, I think to then go ahead and actually commit to re-recording six albums is a pretty big undertaking and yeah, good on her for, for doing it. And I mean, probably very savvy thing to do as well commercially. Like you get a chance to another bite of the cherry for each of these albums with a whole bunch of new stuff coming out and, all the merch and tour stuff that comes out around that. So, um, yeah, good on her. Yeah, she's turned vinyls into, like, a collecting thing. Like, she releases, like, four special edition vinyls for each re-record, and people buy all four of them, and I I don't even know if they have a vinyl player. Like, they just (laughs) collect the vinyls. Like, that's, like, 35 US dollars per vinyl. That's insane. I accidentally ended up with two fearless ones and i'm just like what am i supposed to do with the second one i have no idea i donated it i was i don't know like why do i need two of them anyway it's just crazy the her her marketing brain is nuts or team i guess um would you ian do you think that you would feel differently if she just dropped all the re-records at one time i don't know i i think that part of it is that i i like her music and I want to give it the time that I feel that it deserves. And I didn't feel with this one. It's probably also partially because of where I am in life and the the fact that I was away for, for the first sort of three weeks of this being out that I, I just couldn't engage with it then. And then when I came back, it's, it's just hard to etch out that amount of time to listen to anything. Um, I, I, I will say that I, I feel, um, I totally understand the business reasons why she needs to get them out as quickly as possible. And I, I don't think that there's a problem with that happening. It's just my personal listening experience finds it, finds it difficult when I, I still feel like, like I haven't properly engaged with Midnight's. Don't bother. For instance, just, like, just there's, cross that there's one just off too list. much. Yeah. Come on. It's a good Maroon is a great song. There's some really great song. I say it We're just not to, to wind you Swift up anymore. Yeah, I know. Well, it I want to talk about Taylor Swift some more. Like I I I want to talk about 1989. I want to keep talking about Taylor Swift, but at at this point this um 
this re-record was the one that was least impactful for me. But maybe that's because I didn't give it the, the amount time. of um the amount of time that she's spent on it, which is literally nothing. Um, we've already had more hype for nineteen eighty nine Taylor's version than we did for Speak Now anyway. Um so yeah, I'm curious to see how that goes. And then yeah, reputation. Um is gonna be the vault tracks on that one. <sighs> Might break the internet. And nobody nobody will care about her first album. No, unfortunately, <laughs> I think. Well, we'll see. Like, it depends what she does. Just she bury has that release. Nobody so wants much it. Power. Why is she leaving it but so long to do that But the fact that she's not even... Well, I don't know. I think she's going to do it last as like a wrap-up for the whole era's era. I think it's probably also on. a little bit like what what people are streaming. So if you if you want to get the the streams of things that people actually want to listen to, then... Do the do the big hits first, and then you know get the get the low hanging fruit, and then deal with the the ones that nobody is really going out of their way to listen to. Nobody going out of their way to listen to Tim McGraw. It's ridiculous. Um. <laughs> anyway, what an episode, Ian. You want to yeah, wrap this up by telling us? <laughs> that was that was a real long one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry. What are we listening to for the next two weeks? Yeah, yeah. I was I was just thanking them preemptively because yeah, I'm sure, sure they'll ramble for another five minutes about my next pick. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I have been listening to, and I, I was going to talk about this album as one of the ones that I have been listening to because I have been listening to it a bit, but I didn't feel like I'd listened to it enough, so I didn't talk about it today. So instead, we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Uh, it is the newest album by the band The War on Drugs. It is called I Don't Live Here Anymore. Uh, they're a band from Philadelphia, and this is their fifth album. Uh, came out in 2021, end of 2021. And um, I would say that they had a biggish moment in the sort of indie music sort of spotlight with the two albums that came before this one. And then this one, I never really spent the time with and uh, really enjoyed the the couple before that. Never spent the time with this one. And when I was listening to it again recently, I was like, wow, I really like this and I want to listen to it more. So oh, spoiler that alert. is what we will be listening to. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was neutral about it and <laughs> I will continue to be neutral about it. But I will be neutral about it for the next two weeks with uh, uncertain feelings about how I feel. All right. Well, looking forward to listening Did to I it. Did I cover that off? <laughs> uh, thanks, you two, for the chat today. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye.